0: Hi everyone, it's Trevor Agnew here. I'm a World Rally Champion co-driver and performance coach. For over 25 years, I've been helping people maximise their performance stage by stage. Welcome to my podcast, where I talk to successful people who have agreed to share some of the secrets of that success. Today's guest is John McLean.
1: That's what we're getting up in the morning for, that's what we're going to bed at night thinking about it. We're going to win the World Championship. As it was, we won the world championship with one point. It's a very big sign of never giving up. One point means being a world champion. Not having that one point, you're second, and nobody remembers how you were at all. I expect to see the gearbox on the floor and feeling three minutes. I got a text message from Phil, actually. He said, rear damper leaking, sump guard bent. I met it coming out on a flatbed trailer sitting twisted looking at me with oil running out of it everywhere. The front left-hand corner is about six inches higher than the right-hand corner. The car is proper stuffed-like.
0: Rally technician John McLean talks us through the highs and lows of his role in the closest ever finish to the World Rally Championship. In 2003, Norwegian Petter Solberg and Welshman Phil Mills won the driver and co-driver World Rally Championship titles in their Subaru Impreza. They beat Sebastian Loeb by one single point in a fight that went down to the last day of the last rally. John was their number one technician that year, responsible for the day-to-day preparation and on-event servicing of their car throughout the year. I first worked with John nearly 30 years ago, and we've been great friends since. We've been in the same team several times over the years, and one thing's for sure, you won't find anyone more passionate about the sport of rallying than John. That comes through loud and clear in our chat. He takes us on a fascinating behind-the-scenes look at that amazing year, including an incredible story of how disaster struck on the eve of Rally Corsica, when Solberg crashed heavily on the pre-event shakedown. We also hear, stage by stage, how his team of technicians were able to replace a gearbox in twelve minutes. As we've learned throughout this series. Irrespective of your role, the same advice for success, and all of life's challenges keeps shining through. John talks about his attention to detail, total self-belief, having a don't-give-up attitude, and being committed, determined, and passionate. Enjoy the show. Hello matey, how you doing? Thanks for coming on the show.
1: No problem Trevor, nice to be chatting to you
0: again. This is uh, just old mates having a chat over over a cup of coffee, isn't it? <laughs> it is indeed. <laughs> we do go back a long way as well. What, 1991? Uh, yep, my
1: goodness, Trevor, that's a long time ago.
0: Yeah, we are getting on a bit. Uh, so <laughs> back then, it was you were running the team with the driver I was with, it was Willie John Dolan at the time, doing national rallies in Ireland. So you'd set up your own team at that point and that continues right the way up to the ultimate, which uh, I've said in the introduction is winning a world championship title with Peter Solberg as his number one technicians yeah. it's certainly a hell of a journey from 91 to 2003 it would have been with that
1: probably subconsciously chasing the dream driver <laughs>
0: <laughs> well this is it there's no doubt about it when it comes to non-competitor type people so people who I know you have driven before in the past and were quite quick uh, Paul McCray probably approached your driving uh, as someone once told me <laughs>
1: Yeah, I wish, I wish
0: it was that good. <laughs> yeah, it's just this passion that always comes out, the passion to do well, to go to the ultimate when it comes to preparation on the team and everybody working together. And that's something certainly I think we can learn from as we go through uh, this episode. So before we get into that, though, uh, i just mentioned a couple of things there. If you could just give us a little bit of a potted of the history from when you started that own that business of your own, McLean Auto Developments. Um, and then just uh, it moved into getting a bit of better association with ProDrive and uh, just a couple of minutes around that just yep. so uh, anybody listening in can get a, a bit of a sense of where you where you came from.
1: Yeah, started a motorsport business. Probably quite quite young at the time, I think at about 20, 21 or twenty-two, something like that. Ran several cars. Got involved with Willie John Dolan. Willie John Dolan brought Trevor Callard along, and they are both rallying buddies. They wanted the new Subaru Impreza uh, as a Group N car, but didn't really exist that well. Prodrive were just dabbling with it. We bought two cars from them, two road cars, uh, Japanese imports, and then we started to prepare them. So we probably got the heads up on the knowledge of which then we could share that with Prodrive. Out of that, I got to go along and. um, and give my experience of Group N with their new customers. I was a little bit further ahead of them. I point them in the right direction.
0: So, this is Pro Drive then?
1: Yeah, so Pro Drive maybe get me things like some of the rally guys there will know about Paul Barrett and uh, Mark and David Higgins driving those cars. Well, I, I went along there and basically showed my experiences with what we've achieved and helped them get better on that car. And that led to uh, Angus Watt, who was actually uh, uh, you know, a good friend of mine now, but at that time was the salesman. Uh, I have the parts off. And they were taking two Group N cars along with the two factory cars to Hong Kong Beijing. He got me involved with that team to do to do Hong Kong Beijing with them and, and build the cars. So that was kind of my connection with uh, with the Pro Drive. And out of that the the James Leckie car, which was a Subaru X Bertie Fisher legacy. So that was sort of my introduction to Pro Drive and I suppose closely with the factory team and seeing the next level up.
0: It's quite interesting then that instead of ProDrive building the first Imprezas, you actually did that. What was the thinking behind that?
1: Well, they were very, obviously, very much involved running customer group HR. Um At that time, the the group car was dabbling. It had a very early couple of legacies, didn't really take off massively, and they weren't so much involved with that. And then they started the Impreza and had a few interested customers. But it's quite a big commitment, I suppose, to, to get involved. I think I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. And by building two cars, I learned all the hiccups and the problems. Gearbox issues, we had many. Just getting to space decent suspension travel and, and spring rates and how to work that out and how to get the car improved. So I was probably able to share a lot of hurdles with them. Uh, and they were able to share a lot of their development with me. So it uh, sort of built quite a good relationship, with i At
0: what stage then did you close your own company down and go full pro drive? Well,
1: Angus has sort of dabbled a bits and pieces the, and the, I obviously got a, a taste for the, the customer side of things. What was achievable, I suppose, the big wide world of the UK and, uh, you know, Group A cars left, right and centre. I thought this was superb. I saw an opportunity and uh, very friendly with Davy Greer, people from the Irish Rally and I know, and David Greer Motorsport as it is now, but David was a driver and a successful businessman and he. He quite fancied having a motorsport company, and that just suited me down to the ground. So as he started David Gray Motorsport, I kind of sold him all the rest of my kit, and a lot of my customers went across to David's. I worked with him on and off, and slowly drifted away, and then started working at ProDrive as a, what we call a contractor, mercenary, regularly then, and probably that would have be been late 90s, 96, 97, something like that.
0: Yeah, I think certainly because you were involved in our car. we I've I called over Robin Phillips in the British Championship in a group that's M, right, and it's, yeah. uh, ran by DGM. Yeah. And you came on the events as, I suppose, the ProDrive uh, representative, i have fair to say. Or? I
1: did. I did, yeah. And I remember what we just did. It was like it was very convenient. But obviously, I could bring with, with me. Yeah, and I knew the product quite well.
0: A lot of your time then, though, you were spending in Banbury, you were staying in a BnB and, and just in that transition period.
1: I was, it was, um, yeah, four days or four nights a week in Banbury fly back through Friday evening. Um, five o'clock flight, I think it was, home for seven, bottle of beer by quarter past, hopefully I'm lucky. <laughs> and then back on mon- Monday morning, my dad would pick me up at 10 to 6, I think, at the house. And uh, i kiss Julie goodbye and see you in f- four days. So a bit of a, I think for two years, it was ridiculous, really, I don't think about it, but it kind of what you do. Um, and did obviously events then. So sometimes you could be away. I've been told for several weeks because you go and do French gravel championship with the customer, and then you do another event straight from there, and there's no point in going home. So you're away for six or seven weeks, I think I've been told it sometimes. which is um, probably, yeah, it was okay, but it was, um, in hindsight, quite difficult. Yeah. But I've just got a very very resilient uh, wife, which I've usually says that, for, I think I said behind both successful guys is a very successful woman. <laughs> looking after all those things
0: and she Julie yeah. definitely can do that with you and the the interesting <laughs> thing was that we, we all sort of stayed in the same village in, in Deddington and went to live there
1: we did yeah I so said with Angus and Angus's brother Angus Watt the same guy we got very friendly he ended up moving into a house with his brother and another guy Colin Clark who I think is the commercial director of Motorsport UK now was marketing marketing manager at Prodrive, and then yourself came along and uh we had a very jolly little household. Probably very sad talking motorsport an awful lot, <laughs> <laughs> but we, we certainly enjoyed our our Monday to Monday to Thursday evenings.
0: It definitely was the odd beer.
1: Oh, the, in the, the centre of, of the motorsport universe, there was usually other celebrities of various motorsports popping in and out, and um, you know I think there's the variety of things that some of them don't talk about, but was a giggle. But it was definitely um, definitely a super life experience. <laughs> And realizing that some of those people are just people, you know, they're not, they're not any special. They're just, they're just normal people. It makes you feel quite relaxed when you're within people that maybe you thought were superstars, <laughs> you know, you just very much relax in the company.
0: So let's just move through this, the rest of the story then. So you moved uh, into the customer workshop.
1: Yeah. Factory type stuff. So then customer team. And then again, long story short, I got an offer at well, with Yourself, actually, and Ray Malik that uh, you'd run on the Astra um, at RML. I ended up leaving ProDrive and doing your Vauxhall for, I think it was a year in the British Championship with yourself and Neil.
0: So this is the Vauxhall Astra kit car, the F2 days, 1999. Proper little
1: team, really, really strong little team, not very many. Everybody pulled the weight and everybody did whatever was necessary. Um, but we had some great successes. I think um, obviously winning the Ulster rally was Highlight for both of us. So maybe Neil was quite excited, I think too.
0: He was. And Vauxhall.
1: Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Magic. It was. Um, yeah, you know, it was super. I mean, the whole. I mean, all of those events were really good, really good, um, and lots of good fun. We went to Finland too, didn't we? Um, San Remo. Yeah. And then I went from there to Mitsubishi World Rally Team, and um, I was there for three years. Andrew Cowan Motorsport. Um, for three years, I think it was. And then, in a long story short, Paul Harris approached me to run Solberg's car to you and me and people like that. The rest is history. Um, very quickly got involved in 2002, I think it was, just beginning of 2002 season, about two or three events in, maybe April, something like that.
2: Paul Harris for
1: sure, must have picked the right guy because. Uh, Peter and I got on. I knew Phil a little bit through um Higgins and Barrett. I saw a new Millsy and a Phil Mills and British Championship as well. And that made it a little bit easier. Um so we got on very well. I very much clicked with Peter right away. I don't know if personalities were similar. Um I would say we became very good friends, very good mates. And the rest of the team that we had involved were really good. My engineer was a super guy, you know, Pierre Giron, but he was youngish. Belgium, good speaking English, quite funny with my uh, Irish accent at times. I think we had a, a right good strong little team that all had the same focus, and I think that all collaborated very well with attacking the world championship and surprising many people by by winning it basically. <laughs> you know, winning, winning rallies in 2002 and then winning the world championship in 2003 it was like, holy smoke! You know, I think if we remember right there, there was a a clause and Better's contract for a million pound bonus if he won the world championship. And nobody ever thought that was going to happen.
0: Did you think you were going to win the title in 2003? I think I did, Trevor, because actually,
1: I think you might introduce me to Paddy Parr, but I put a bet on Paddy Parr to win the world championship. And I tried to put a 100 quid on at 66, I think, so 66 to one or something like that. And they wouldn't let me do it. They let me put 66 pounds, I think, on. And I just put it on as a poor believing commitment you know i'd happily paid 100 quid back then but i'll pay 66 quid and lo and behold and we win it and i nearly forgot oh. about the bet <laughs> <laughs> so i got three thousand three hundred and sixty six quid or something back but as when i was kind of smug when i thought my wife just turned to me and said you put that bet on i went holy smoke yeah but i did put it on in a genuine belief that we were turning up to win it that's what we're getting up in the morning for that's what we're going to bed at night thinking about it we're going to win the world championship and Pepper totally believed every year he was going to win the World Championship. You know, that was his total motivation. And our team, I would say, as the season went on and you and you, you talked to people on the team and you started your positivity came across, I would say there's another large percentage of them actually thought, we, we're we going to win this. You know, and, that, and I bought into my, my game. Obviously, the old cynical one, maybe we laugh at you. Oh, yeah, you think we will. But we are. That's what we're going to do. I used to say to many journalists and things, we're certainly not here to make the numbers up. We are here to win and we don't win. We're disappointed we don't get strong points we're disappointed and then uh, if we don't get one point i'm devastated (laughs) even in the worst rally in the world we need points always need points as it was we won the world championship with one point It's a very big sign of never giving up one point means being a world champion not having that one point you're second and nobody remembers how you were at all
0: i'd actually forgotten that it was only one point difference and it was right down to the last stage wasn't it which we'll, we'll come to a bit later yeah
1: yeah it definitely was it was a big big push um you know, but the whole way through the year, you know, I think we're doing was it twelve or fourteen events? I can't really remember. It's quite a lot of after a while. It's a lot of a lot of events, a lot of numbers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, a lot a lot of opportunities to get it right and a lot of opportunities to get it wrong. And um, basically to limit the amount of mistakes and uh, possible mistakes. You know, you have just got to be ahead of the game all the time and always thinking outside the box. What if, 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 and hopefully stamp all those negatives out and uh, make it as easy as you can for yourself.
0: Yeah, so the the concept of this show is really to explore the benefits of mental training in motorsport and um, talking to experienced people like you from a number one technician or a technician in general's point of view. In order to come up with some ideas, tips, strategies that competitors can go off and try, or even in this case, technicians or anybody interested in motorsport that wants a career or a job in motorsport, there might be something in this that uh, would just be the inspiration, they need to go off and, and have a go at it. The other thing I want to cover is, of course, in 2003, the Corsica Rally. A hell of a story that one is. So we'll do that as well. I think we've got time to do that. So um, anything off the top that you can think of, just as one or two top tips are out there that we can have a quick discussion about?
1: A lot of forward planning, obviously. It's attention to detail, I think, um, uh, at the top end of motorsport. Everyone's cars are very good. And everybody does a very nice job, but you've got to do a little bit better. And to think if um, if that was to possibly happen, how difficult would that be, or how quickly can we change it? So we, you know, practicing a lot, we would do a lot of that. Obviously, one of the to mind we have, uh, like various bits and pieces of the car, throttle pot stuff we mentioned before, and and the car and the pedal box, and uh, so it's, it's a little six mil spanner you'd have to use. And if you were to drop that six mil spanner, it was down in behind a carbon pedal box. and It's gone. So if you were changing that, which you will be if you do in a stressful moment, you don't want to drop that. So as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, well, if I was doing that, I don't want to drop that. So I ended up getting a little bit of fishing line and tying that at the end of the six mil spanner and securing that. And then a little bit of and a little bit of Velcro in the tunnel. So Petter basically explained to him, I said, if you're changing that of, but in a a bit of a pressure moment, you just velcro that bit of string on there, that way you've got a fishing line. And that, if, I, if you drop that spanner, you end up lost it, and it's not a disaster. Now, if I recall, I don't think you ever did have to drop it and never had to buy it, but it was all those little bits of attention, and you just look. And you, Sometimes you just sit with a, you know, say had a cup of coffee, but not in the car with it, but you're standing looking. You just look in the evening when everybody's going home, and you're thinking, of, how could we make that better? How could we make this better? How would you make the fitment of various parts in the car easier to change? And I think those are the details that you want to be looking at all the time. And some people think it's ridiculous, and that's the difference, I think, of the people who want to win and the people who just want to be there and compete. It is definitely the tension of to detail. Top end teams, that we're always prefitting all our spares. We'll, we'll run our gearboxes and our turbos and everything at Myra on a shakedown, and then we'll take them all off and put them away, and I'll label them up as Peter Solberg, first spare, second spare, and we know it fits, and we know when the pressure's on and you've got 20 minutes to do a job that takes 20 minutes or longer, you, uh, you're you not going to be caught out by, by an exhaust not sliding together because it's had damage in transit. It's been checked. been checked twice. Um, the steering rack, we know, fits the car. We know that the, the pipes are all perfect. It's all just gonna, on the right angles and all the pipes are tight in the right place. You just dip it up in and it, and it makes that such a slick maneuver. And that's what you're looking for all the time um, across the whole vehicle.
0: So, preparation, just thinking through risk mitigation or certainly making things easier in the heat of the moment seems to be a focus there. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, definitely. In um, in our game, you know, in those days we had 20 minute service or 10 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon, and a 40. And 20 minutes, you know, the guys go out there and do three or four stages and come back. They can do a lot of damage. You know, you got to be really. Young prepared and really think about having corners built up or having the parts separate so as you can very quickly decide which is the best way to change this. And that's all thinking all the time. You know, we have a lot of other well, people sort of say downtime, but at the top end you don't really go off and sit around and, and, and play some computer game or something, waiting for your ally car to come back. You you get back in and think, how can we prove this? How can we make that better? It might be just checking the way your tools are together or You'll see some of the boys. You know, just maybe oiling up their ratchets, making sure everything just perfect. And everything's just correct. And all their parts are there, and all they go through again. and They'll maybe talk their way through, change the suspension again. and know exactly what they're going to do, um, or their little special tools that we would make to make things quicker. I mean, those are the sort of the pointy end of uh, of trying to win. I think and that's that's the difference.
0: Just making it easier for yourself, more convenient, quicker. So you're saving time, really yeah
1: time is time is massive, yeah, we we gotta be doing something quick, and you gotta do it correctly quick, you know not just not just you know, you gotta make sure that you know you're putting it in and you know it's not getting any damage or mark or the camber is exactly what the camber has to be, you know, and you're getting your camber washers or whatever it may be. they're fitting nice, and you know and you you don't just have one, you'll have two spares in your back pocket. you'll be ready for it. You'll be ready for somebody trying to trip you up all the time, and you're always just looking right, and then. You know, it, something not a drama. You don't have one ratchet. As you probably see, all those top boys will always have three ratchets. You know, nobody's going to be having anything uh, go wrong. Hopefully, you'll have a sucker on each and you'll just use one ratchet and pick it up, use it, pick the next one, use it. You won't be swapping around because it wastes time swapping around. But if you were to have a failure of anything, you won't have one. You'll, have, you'll be backed up. You'll be ready in there. I think that's just the way they think. I mean, the guys probably don't even realise the thing like that, but it's... it's it's what you do, and that's what you coach each other with. You know, you get your ratchets, and we pick each other's things up, and you'll know, make sure the nuts are going on reverse. The car's coming in, you're going to be taking the wheels off. You know, it's just all that way inclined. Everything's set and ready. And, you know, that really is the way you, you should be thinking all the time. Right.
0: Okay. I, I get it. You know, and if yeah, Petters that fired up and that passionate about it, then, and we all know it's a team wow. effort, uh, mm-hmm. and I know your ethos is always. I don't want to be the one to let him down. He's putting all this effort in. I got to back it up, and I got to be even better than that. From what I can do, absolutely.
1: Yeah, you know the effort they're putting in, and you know the effort Phil puts in. He probably gets underrated, as you know, as a co-driver Trevor, You know, I yeah, think we went off, and we and I won. You know, it's, um, uh, they do forget the the effort the co-driver put in and uh, the, the pressure they're under. Um, you know, just by not being sharp enough in the morning or not getting up enough in the morning not being ready you could just you know ruin a lot of people's day which is avoidable and you don't want to be that weak link you want to be at your cutting edge you know we always say it like it's couple, a couple of beers and then bedtime and that type of thing Sunday night might be different maybe three or four beers or it's third Sunday night but either week, you know you, you've you got to you want to be part of that you don't want to be the, that weak link you don't want to be the effort these guys are putting in and everyone else on the team is putting in I think you can draw that around that everyone is thinking the same thing that you don't want to be that person to let someone down. You know, if there's half a dozen in that group. I mean, you know, you just, it's, I think it's very important and you sort of try and reiterate that into them. And it's, it's like getting up in the morning, you know what I mean? It's, um, you, you know, don't have to look at the alarm clock, five o'clock. You just get up, get on when you have your kit ready.
0: And a lot of people are probably aware, you know, a situation in Formula One is a pit stop where the front left doesn't come off or doesn't go back on properly instead of being Uh 1.9 seconds it's seven or eight seconds
2: Um,
0: (laughs) but of course if it's a proper team that person isn't going to get villainized because everybody can make a mistake or equipment can fail but if if that was a human error error, then of course that's part of a driver crash or a co-driver making a mistake or whatever that that's what happens. That's what builds the team and you learn from that and you'd be better prepped the next time. So I might come back to that if a good time later on. I'm fascinated by this Corsica rally in 2003. So for those who don't know about it, we'll not spoil the story too early. So it was shakedown on the Thursday morning before the event. Uh, in the World Championship, can you remember where you were uh, position-wise? In um, the
1: World Championship? Goodness, we were. I'm guessing second, third, something like that.
0: In the top three, anyway.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. We're all wasn't much in it again, handful of points, right? And um, we're us all all together. So it was all you know. The game was still very much on. The focus was very much on getting you know getting very strong results, if not winning events. Um, mid season, like, and it was like it's all all to go for here.
0: Patrick is off to the Shakedown then, which is effectively the. The practice stage, systems, just checking everything's working, getting up to speed with your notes, maybe tweaking dampers, that type of thing. He'd gone out, he'd done a couple of runs, and then you get a phone call.
1: Yeah, basically, I think it was, um, yeah, basically we do that. We do do the shake down, as you say, and we just give maybe four runs. So it's, uh, it's a quick run in the service, change the car a little bit, change a few things, quick run again. So basically, I think it was a third run, and uh, we usually get about four and if we can, whether we finish by 12 o'clock, we've a window of opportunity. And I got a text message from Phil actually. He said, rear damper leaking, some guard bent. And I went, oh, bloody hell. You know, usual. This is going to be a little of grief, a bit of hassle. We're we'll going to pick it up or something. Um, but the car only picked up. So we jumped in the cell phone, two or three of the we jumped in one of our support vehicles. And we're heading towards the stage to see how we can get there, thinking that maybe we'll put some wheels in this or something. And just drive it back down to service and repair it. And uh, I met it coming out on a flatbed trailer, sitting twisted, looking at me with oil running out of it everywhere. The front left hand corner is about six inches higher than the right hand corner. The car is proper stuffed like <laughs> And I'm thinking, leaky damper, bent some guard What's the story here, chief? Are you deluded? But we got it back, and it is um, very, very seriously damaged. Like proper. It was around twelve o'clock, I suppose, or right, uh, one o'clock. And it's proper damaged um, to the point that we think maybe get a spare car. And we get a car flown over from the workshop tonight, maybe a spare car, and, and, and put a lot of stuff on it. And that very quickly, we realized we couldn't couldn't in the time window we had achieve that. Although we did, you know, people were trying to look at all those options. And then I think even Tommy offered to give Petter his car and said he wouldn't do the rally, You could have my car. And uh, the organizers didn't allow that. That wouldn't happen. The other manufacturers, I think, didn't allow that. So basically, it came to the point of that we only had one option and we'd try and repair the car. And we would have until I think it was half seven, eight o'clock the following morning. And so this is probably be two o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, we find a, a little body shop in Ajaxio um, in the middle of a housing development estate. With, oh, I think Ken Rice usual, we find this somewhere. And uh, the guy had a little Black hog dozer and a boxing of selfie bottles with some uh, sellotape, as I said, hanging around. The to keep the gas in, it was a bit of a joke. I think I picked about six or eight people, but you don't need too many. We just need good lads, a lot of experienced people. We got into that workshop and started to repair that car, and it was uh, a massive task. I mean, we had engine box, um, rear subframes, front subframes, radiators, everything out of it. loom stayed in. Um, I think the actual fuel tank stayed in. It was in the bottom of the car in that car, but everything else came out.
0: What time would you have started stripping that car then?
1: Probably, realistically, I would think three, half, three, four o'clock, something like that. Just at the end of the day, we'll get that in there, and we just tore into it, and uh, we stripped everything. Now we have our we are a factory team. we got a lot of bits, but by goodness, we didn't have like a lot of bits on it. Like. Well, we did a lot of body straightening, um, so the sissy legs were bent, front and rear. And we used this little Blackhawk dozer to pull it down. I remember um, Stevie Wilson and myself, and I think it was Diamond. Mark Farley, Diamond, because he's a diamond geezer. I'm upset. <laughs> Good lad. <laughs> and uh, Diamond and we were heating the leg with the auction
2: and
1: pulling on the on the chains on the, on that uh, raft. And this leg was coming down, and it was just like Christmas or right. Yeah, it was. Uh, it just started to come into the right place, you know. And once we had the subframe in the rear in the right place, we didn't care too much about the back legs, other than the foot would shut. And we can get a roll bar, but we can adjust that roll bar bracket uh, if it's not quite in the right place. So we that all down. We did the same at the front. And the front was pretty good, but but we wanted to pull it maybe not as good at the back, but it wasn't far away, and the cross member basically was getting things like radiators and, and headlights and things weren't fitting just as nice as they should have done. But we weren't too bothered about that. As long as we can get the, the main component which is the suspension points in the right place, we know the car will work. And uh, and that went on um, all night until I think we wanted to run the car about five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning. And the guys who were still there, the body shop boys, wouldn't let us because it was a residential area. So we had to put on a trailer, push onto a trailer, and drive it down to the service area. And uh, I jacked to, was six or seven, and it was getting kind of cold. And then we tracked the car up down there on a bit of a flat patch that we had and squared it up. And Pierre came down and uh, took the car up the road, came back down and went, that worked. And I think I went back to the hotel room for about seven o'clock and I told Keith Taylor he was running uh, Tommy's car then. I was sharing the room with him. I said, You wake me up at twenty-five past there when you get healthy?" So at twenty-five minutes we came back down again. Petter turned up. Uh, my boys got to stay in bed. I told them to stay in bed for we had a ten minute turn the morning, just tire changing and checkover. And I got Keith Guys to do the checkover. And um, Petter was obviously as usual Petter. Uh, it's just over to overcome an emotion. He was overcome with emotion when we had to take the car away in the trailer. He thought his world championship had been knocked in the head. Yep. Um. When he when he turned up in the morning, I said sort of half seven, quarter eight. He was just uh, couldn't couldn't bring himself. Uh, he was in pieces. It was brilliant, and um, and in and the car looked pretty good. He was a few, a few dints here and there, covered over a few things, but bit too bad. And then the rally started, and we were competitive, and and mixing it in there in the top four or three most of the time. And then on Saturday afternoon, ninth stage, ten, eleven, twelve, something like that, it started to rain. And we run Pirelli tires and we happened to get the tyre choice just perfect. We put a wet tyre on it, and the heavens opened. Um, Petter took full advantage of that opportunity and just pulled chunks of time, 20 seconds, 20 seconds out of the people. And uh, I remember turning to David Lapworth and watching the times, and I David, it keeps up, I said, we're going to win this bloody rally. Cut a long story short, we took a lead, and Petter just held on to it then on Sunday. Now, the guy uh, that maybe mentioned to you before called Sebastian Loeb, he have gone off, I think, on the phone. <laughs> yeah, gone off on the, on the first day, I think it was, and lost quite a lot of time, or maybe halfway through second after, I can hardly remember. And uh, But he came charging back. I think he was fast was on most all uh, stages on Sunday morning anyway. He charged, but Petter still was able to be second, third, or whatever it would have been, and held the lead of about 35, 36 seconds, something like that, and uh, won the rally. And that was probably the nicest way to... Uh, turn a bad situation into a good situation. <laughs> and uh, it was, uh, yeah, probably one of my most memorable, there's many, but one of the most memorable the weekends that we had was unbelievable. And all the teams around, you know, Peter and Phil would be very popular. And a lot other teams were other teams were just, you know, although they lost, it couldn't be a better winner. Like, the whole story was just perfect. And the guy who was almost out of the rally before it started, to turn around get his car repaired and uh, go on to to win the event. You know, I think that was a massive probably bonding of the team too. And you know what you can do when when all the, all the cards turn against you and you can turn it around.
0: It's just an incredible story. When you think about
1: it, it is honestly, you know, if I I had a few beers and talk about it again, I could give you more and more details and it's just stuff that happened and and, uh, all people could achieve. And, you know, know, this is proper tired. This is like when you're getting pizzas at three o'clock or somebody go get pizzas go get this and the atmosphere is just buzzing you know nobody is doing it. everybody is buzzing to get this thing back together again and you're just working as a, as a team um, without having to have the conversation you know you're starting to put a, a screen or something back in the car like the guy you just know what you're doing you just work together you're, you're smiling as you're trying to get this thing back together again all looking still to make it perfect not not to make it just a car with wheels on it it has to be a car that can be, have wheels on it and win a rally has to be as good as it was, you know, 12 hours before, bar the bodywork and the look
0: of it. Was that the thinking though? Were you, were you actually thinking that we need to have this, that straight that Petter could win the rally?
1: Ab- ab- absolutely. You know, you do look at it and you, you know, whatever you're changing, we were changing things, you know, when you'd look at something and go, will no, change it. That's had a big impact. I don't know why would I want to try and learn if that, I don't know what it might have been. I can even think, let me even a steering column or something and a UJ, you know, it got a bit of an impact. You think that, just change it. I'm not going to take the risk to see if it's okay or not okay. I can do that back at, at Banbury in the, in the rebuild room. The boys will check it and go, oh, that was absolutely fine. Oh my goodness, did you know it's cracked? So you don't want to find that out. You want to, to use your experience and the to go, no, let's just change it. Let's just think about it. And even if we're having a, a cup of coffee or a water or a slice of pizza, three o'clock in the morning you're still looking at everything you're looking in the same way you know and we'd have a discussion you know or look at something and i think we should just change that i think we should take that off you know and people want to go people nobody wanted to go home nobody wanted to go to bed they weren't going to bed we knew that so if you were just take it off we'll have a look at it that's absolutely fine right that's okay put that back on again that'll be all right but you definitely don't just fix the bit that's looking at you you're thinking all the time where that impact was going into and what, what damage could it have done and could it have kinked the pipe or damaged the wiring loom you know you, you've got to take the loom out and have a, a look in that corner with a with a strut went back or something like that and just make sure it's okay amazing yeah and, uh, and, and, and and fix it properly and but i mean honestly it's, it's it's almost natural because we definitely were going to win rallies and that's what you think and nobody nobody thinks that, that little bird will be okay. You know, you sometimes you look at things like that and you think, oh, sugar, we better take this ball. You know, and you just take it back out.
0: Yeah, but when you think about it, John, sorry to interrupt, but when you think about it in the context of how that season played out, where it went down to the wire, last stage, Morgan yep. Park, yep, Network Q Rally or whatever it was called back then, mm-hmm. and it, it was one point of difference, and it wasn't settled Absolutely. until the finish, the last <laughs> oh. stage. It's just, you know, that night at three o'clock in the morning when you were having the pizza and all of that, it just brings it all alive. And it just makes the story even more amazing when you know how the season unfolded and, and how much it went down to the wire.
1: Definitely. You know, you could have given up or not be bothered or not tried. But, you know, in the same way as, as, the, as the rest of the team, the, the gravel crew and then the and and... and and Peter, you know, engineer we're still wanted to win, and everybody was still pushing to win. Um, they The all still being very positive. You know what I mean? It's it's um, keeping the positive and 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 keeping the approach of um, we're we're here to to win the event. We can we can. What's the difference? with car cars fixed, the car ready. We'll we'll win this. And that happens all the way through the year. You know, and as I said earlier, you know, one point. Some people talk about uh, you know, we can't win, we'll go home. We won't go home. And even if we're out of the point, we'll still keep trying because. Before the finish line, somebody can break down and we can get a point. And a lot of the time, even with customers through the years, you've seen that and you you said, hey, no, no, we, we keep going. What do you mean? Well, I can't win. Well, it doesn't have to win. If you're in a championship, you know, it's not always just about winning everything. It's about, it's about your worst result. And if your worst result is seven points or eight points, 10 points, I think a lot of people have to keep that. You have to keep that, that passion or, or or belief and determination that we're not giving up or we're just going to keep going, even when all the odds are against you. There's many a story of people getting a result, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, by, by pure determination and keep going and get it. And they got a point and maybe that point made a difference or something. might not have been the World Championship, but it could be their, their national championship or their club events or whatever it will be. But it's the same approach. Don't just give up, you know, just dig a bit deeper and push on. You just got to never give up, I suppose, would be one of our many little mottos and bits and pieces we do, you know, mm-hmm. keep battling on.
0: Clearly, you, you had a very good relationship with Petter, which you formed over that year in uh-huh. particular, and Phil, of course, yeah. in the mm-hmm. co-driver's seat. Is there anything that you picked up from those guys, apart from everybody knows how passionate Petter is? Is there anything else that you discovered and you thought, yeah, they are the ultimate?
1: Petter is so old, sort for of, the, I suppose, single-mindedness, his, his sort of never-stop approach. You know, he really is. his 24-7. That's all he seems to think about. It's all he drives into you. I think his own self-belief. He totally believed he was going to be a world champion. And that wasn't a myth or a joke or a giggle over a dinner and dinner. Like, world champion. I want to be, he wants to be world champion multiple times, but that didn't quite happen. I mean, but he was, I think on I after his car, we were either first or second. You know, people forget that. As I said earlier, nobody remembers second, but we were second, I think, three or four times. If that boy Loeb hadn't been there, it might have been different. Yeah, <laughs> They're both very driven. The amount of preparation and effort Phil will put in on, on you new at nighttime, behind the scenes and on, on the pace notes, rewriting pace notes, is, it's three o'clock in the morning stuff above the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's and, it, and it's attention to detail and it's starting again and rewriting all the notes and checking them all the way through. Both of them would be like that, you know, in the same way that both be attention to detail. Peter wants to know about all the possible different maps. What, what possibly could we do? What could we possibly try? Um, you know, uh, and, you know, he would, he would drain Pierre there you know, many times just with constantly more and more and more how can we do this, how can we do this, you know, but, but that makes everyone step up to the next level and the next level because he's not going to lie down and accept something, you know, what we make it better? Yeah, we will, we will. We're always trying to make it better all the time, even when you win a rally. We're, we're talking the next day how to improve it and how to make other things better and how to make the we problems that we might have had a long way not be there for the next time. Um, so He definitely is a massive driver, um, uh, and doesn't let you doesn't let you rest in your laurels at all. Um, there's probably a few drivers like that we can talk about who just are constantly looking for improvement, looking for, for, for perfection.
0: That's what you want in a driver, isn't it? Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely. It's fantastic.
0: Over the years, you know, I've, I've seen and heard you get really frustrated, and we're not going to mention any names, but. Mm-hmm. I, you just get really wound up when you see the potential that some people have, but they've got nowhere near that amount of drive, or they don't really see things maybe the way. Maybe it's just because we're old and we've got the experience and we can think through things a little bit differently. But
1: yeah, I think yeah, you know, talking to young drivers and people like that too, and sometimes you're thinking, hey, but you know, you, you, we all know the boys who are uh, you know absolutely committed. Everybody wants to drive rally cars, but some people just have something a little bit extra. You know, and they really do see a vision and they see where they want to get to and they they step on the ladder they want to make and they'll do everything to get to that. And when they get there they, they raise the bar a little bit higher and they and they just keep going forward. And those are the guys that like we would say have made it to the top and you and you see them and you can see it in them. You can see they're they just do a little bit extra all the time. They're always thinking about pushing the ladder a little, you know, the level a little bit higher all the time. And uh, it's fantastic working with people like that, I think they they make you push a little bit harder and they don't let you relax you know sure various bits and pieces on the car whatever it may be if it is uh, technical stuff on on diff maps and things like that They want more and more you know you're lying thinking and you go back to the hotel room and you're thinking about tires and you're thinking about tire choice and you're thinking what you've got and how you can optimize that to get the best because that's what he wants and that's what he expects and, uh, you know, you're not just sticking to set a set of slicks on because it's dry in the morning. You're sticking them on because you know why you're sticking them on. And that's, you know, you're going into three stages. You know the length of those stages. You know the conditions of the stages. We're doing it because we think that's the fastest tire for those that three stages. It's not just a good tire. It's all the way through the car and suspension and ride heights. And, you know, changing ride heights by three or four mil, people think you're mad. But it can be the difference in the first pass and the second pass, you know. Never actually worked with Carlos since, but I know he's like that. Yeah. Testing with Carlos is Testing. You'll have every roll bar on the car, maybe twice, and he will he will understand every element of the car and how it works. And if that's not what floats your boat, don't go to a test with Carlos Sainz. Because uh, you know that's that's the, that's the approach these are the of top drivers. They are there to test and they're there ter- 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 to make improvements. Yeah, and that's them. That's the way they think. Some boys don't. I mean, other people just turn up. like Colin. <laughs> them. Turn, up na- natural talent and drives it. That'll do well and uh, drive the door handles off it.
0: In my job and my other life now, after co-driving rally cars, I do a lot commercially and in business and talking to uh, managers, right up the managing directors about teams and how you can run the most high-performing team. So on the back of what you said, you talk a couple of things there. You talked about like a little micro team that you had, Petter the driver, Phil the co-driver, Pierre the engineer, and you as the number one tech. And that was a tight bond and everybody singing off the same hymn shoot. So what, what advice would you give to anybody trying to build a world champion winning team? I'm talking about the ethos that's involved to perform to that sort of level, the highest performing team you can have. Because in my experience, what we did in Rally Cars, what other sports do can easily transfer in the business. So there's some common things that you've alluded to already. What do you think makes the best team?
1: Commitment. You know, these are the sort of the normal words the commitment, the, the determination, the passion. Um, those are all sort of uh, things that come together, but it's getting a good bond. And, um, you know, very quickly, and I, uh, you sort of look back at it now and you realize how well it went. As I said, those, Petter and Phil in the car, myself and Pierre, we had a gravel crew, Terry Cabey, another rally hero, and Bruno Berglund, another very famous co-driver. but there was such a, a bond that we, we achieved there, and it wasn't false or it wasn't it wasn't made up. It started to work, and I think you're getting everyone in the same wavelength of um, again win, winning and, and trying to get everybody to focus that we're here to win, and that's why you're part of this team because you're we believe you're a winner, <laughs> and you're going to join in, and you're going to be a winner with us. And you up your game to be as good as the guys around you, and I think it's um, you know, it, it you even take a young kid in, and, and it, if you get him right, we we're welcoming you in here, and you're coming into our little fold of six or eight technicians, and we're really good, and we want to win, and that's why we get up in the morning, and that's why we're here for service, and we're the sharpest ones here, or whatever we do, or dare I say, you know, our discipline and our our appearance and the way we way we think transmits it all the way across that and you have to have enough I don't know, I suppose that we we, we think you do have the passion or, or the or the the, the uh, commitment to join and it's I suppose subconsciously that's what I used to get when I had different technicians in various times, but I almost say like you're coming in here because you want to win and we're all here to win and we expect you to the same. It very quickly does and, and, and some people will laugh as smug and, and not get it and very quickly they won't really i wouldn't necessarily want them back i had a, a little group but you know i did every event but not all the technicians at every event so sometimes i'll have different people in my working on my car but i honestly was I said every one of them wanted to be there even the ones that joked into they didn't but they really did <laughs> they absolutely loved every minute of it and they loved it being part of a team and they change the gearbox and then in a 20-minute, and they do it in 14 minutes or whatever it may be in those days, we eleven, I think it was, and, um, you know, one of the boys will be spraying water like it's champagne and the camaraderie and the, the team and the bonding is on non-measure. You couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't buy it. It's, it's awesome and that's what makes it and, they, and that drives them and they just want to be the best and be part of the best. I think any of the world championship teams when they're winning the world championships and doing that, you can really see that that passion and that absolute commitment to being the best people out there. It's very much, I think we involve them in in the group and they become part of the team and the team expands and they join it and they are usually as proud as punch to be part of that team, to be said to be working on whoever that may be, Tommy Magdalene or Peter Solberg in those days or whoever else would have been in Atkinson and Herblin and people like that. You know, You just want to be, you want to be a winner. That's why you have a competition sport or a competitive sport. You want to be the best. And uh, trying to drive that across and, and having a tongue-in-cheek that boys might laugh at me when I say things like that to them. But I know rightly they want to be the best. And uh, and we want to be the best. And it's, I think, as you say, standing on a podium when your driver's shaking the champagne, there's nothing quite like it. And if he's sh- shaking at the end of the year. <laughs> with the big trophy. See, yeah, exactly. That's the, that's the best as you know, Trevor, being a world champion yourself. <laughs> it's just something else like it's just yeah. um un- un- unexplainable. It takes a few days to sink in. We actually did it. I don't think even my mates at Mrs. Bushi who won four world championships in were doing like some of them just you know, didn't, didn't take it lightly. They might have a little bit of crack and a bit of fun, but they're you know, they're they're top boys like, They really are. Cutting edge cutting edge type guys. They make it look easy. I mean, you could talk about it for for ages in that respect.
0: You could talk about it for for years, your passion for
1: it. Oh, I could talk about it for years. Absolutely. Little bubble hatter.
0: I hope that's coming across to everybody listening, because I've known you for all those years, and you haven't changed the whole way. That. <laughs> that's just you. <laughs> I'm pretty sad, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah <no. laughs> right, a couple of things I just want to revisit, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. We talked about the preparation side of things and of course a lot of their prep a lot of what you're doing is to uh, manage the risk or at least get ready for worst case scenario um yeah. the other side of it you're talking about changing a gearbox in 11 minutes which is mind-blowing yeah. uh in, yeah. in, a, in a world rally car but okay th- there's one situation i remember in 2003 where Mm-hmm. There was a last minute service thing, I, what, was it in Spain?
1: Uh, yeah, we had Spain with a, an alternator, a car, so we used to run the alternator. Normally it would sit at to the top of the engine well, for centre of gravity and engineering, you want everything at low. So we had a, a low mounted alternator in those days, running for a short while. I think we ran it again after this. And uh, it had a very long nose then for the, the belt to line up with the, the other auxiliary belts. And uh, yeah, Spain Rally. Oh, Mountain where everything was tickety boo and rosy, no issues, no nothing. Everything was going really well. I cannot actually remember our position, but I guarantee we were right up in there and one, two, three, four, somewhere like that, dinging for trying to get a win and get strong points. We were about to leave service and we we're probably three minutes early. And I said, "Oh, absolutely meant everything's looking good. It was a bit of a run up to the out control, which we get refuel and, and, and a time control to leave. So we'll maybe just start it up and, and go. We kicked it in. But I literally started it and I just looked at the engine guy, nothing was right, and then suddenly, squealing bearing, and it was the worst thing in the world. The uh, alternator bearing had seized. And it was like I just looked at Lucane as he was doing the engine, and I went, God. And uh, I'm on a radio to, to what I would call Charlie Dodd, who was my sort of stores in, in the truck beside us, but he's talking on the radio to him. I said, Get me an alternator, Charlie, and I set her up. And literally, from literally much about we wave a car goodbye, we had to jack it up very quickly at the front, pull the sump guard off, lay underneath, put an elevator on it. Um, and I can remember it clearly. So I, I was down there and a little look on my shoulder just saying, run away, run away. And it was <laughs> the worst thing. Here I don't know if I even breathe in these last three or four or five minutes of, of this disaster, but it was a disaster. It was the the end of the world. Um, it's, it's so hard to explain it without the uh, Feeling, you can feel the hairs in my back of my neck, you know. I like just oh, geez, there's no way, and we got to get this done, and we got to do this as quickly as we can. And I am right, get her up
0: calmly as well. The thing is, calmly, stinking, calmly,
1: calm. you got to keep calm. It can't turn into a flap. I mean, in my younger days, it would have probably turn into a flap, but I mature in those days.
0: And what did we teach you? Keep it in the green, <laughs> <laughs> keep it in the green. Explain to our listeners what that is.
1: You're, you're keeping it in the green. And it's all under control. You go into the red, it goes out of control. I think yeah. it we said one time you get a puncher, you know, and uh, you flap about and uh, you'll turn up your meeting in a big flap. Just keep it in the green, ring up and say you've got to be five minutes late. Yeah. Very much keep it in the green and calmly drop a guard off it, drop the alternator off, and it was just quick as can, quick can, guard on, rattle it on with nuts drop her down, send them out. on and filler staying in the car at this point. Do not get out of that car. You are going. As soon as we get that here. But it has to be right. You know, you can't, there's no point in sending the car out with some fault with it, but you're going to lose 30 seconds or 40 seconds of a stage because you haven't done it right. It has to be, it has to be right when it leaves, whatever time it leaves. I think we were two or three minutes uh, late leaving service, I remember right, in the whole thing, which is about 30 seconds of, uh, of penalties. We get a 10 second penalty per minute and leaving. And I remember jumping on the push bike and racing up to refuel. And honestly, I, I got there, I couldn't look at it in the face. I was just devastated. Took, you take the responsibility like it's it, it's, it's your fault nearly, I don't know. And I remember that, oh, uh, it's uh, terrible. There's tears running on your face, you're putting fuel into the car, you're making sure it's right. You're doing your tire marking and you're waving goodbye and you've got to make up this time. You've got to push like mad. And uh, those two boys, they keep it in the green. They know and they they understand from my body language and my emotions that I'm as devastated as they are, but the fight goes on, you know, we just continue as we would have done five minutes before.
0: Yeah, that's the opposite of Corsica then, isn't it? Because there's a technical issue with the car, you guys did yeah, your best, Absolutely. you got it out, but there's, yeah. a, there's a time penalty added on to their time for it, no different to them spinning or stalling or something like that. Where that's right,
1: yeah, taking you... a corner off it, exactly, yeah. It is just, it's just the fact that it happens in our our area, our, 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 yeah. our uh, backyard, different things feel and you're thinking i knew we shouldn't have done you know we didn't like them really we we thought they were a good idea but we didn't really like we never used them after that um i don't think it caused any real performance disadvantage or advantage measurably but those things log in the back of your head and you remember that and you use those i don't know difficult times and experiences uh, to go forward the next time you know and and think about that and and always just look at stuff and uh I think that a lot of the time, when you're running a car, you are looking. I'm just looking. The boys just to say to me when I'm walking around, looking over their shoulders and all. What are you looking for? And I said, I have no idea. I'll tell you when I find it. <laughs> but uh, I'm just, I'm just looking. I'm just looking at it, and I'm asking them what you think? Is that okay? Is that
2: okay? Yeah, yeah.
1: You know. And then I, you know, you'll be in your mind. It, but again, I know all the time. Obviously, the clocks, and, and I'm, I'm reminding them how much time we've got left. And they're, they're cool as monster. They know they've got five minutes, and they've got four minutes exactly. And the guys at the front will know. Not to panic, put a bit of the wheels on until they hear the rear wheels going on because the back of the car always always comes down first. So they know yeah, time for me to put a rim on here once they hear the bang on the back. And you know it's so all hopefully under control and calmly. And you know a car drops down at the back quietly, and the front of the car comes down. And you look at your guys, and you just have to glance at them. You are going right? Yeah, they are going yeah happy. And you, you you know with their confidence and their ability and uh, and and working as all together, we're all on the same goal. And each corner they've done. Can win a world championship, and that's all you accept from them, and that's that's what you expect. It is. It's a very special group, and it really is. It's hard to get across. It's a Joe Public sometimes watch it. I, mean, I know a few people have watched service areas, and they watch it, and it can be really slick. Like you know, a lot of boys not saying an awful lot.
0: Let's talk through that eleven-minute gearbox change. Then was that part of that year?
1: And uh, not in that year. I think we think we did them probably because Keith uh, Keith Taylor who a good a and you was on Tom's. But we're very much Tommy, um, Tommy and Petter team a wee bit, you know, which was only a competitive streak.
2: Yeah. Um.
1: I think I mentioned before we had our, our names on the back of overalls. So you have overall Sam Solberg or, or overall Sam MacInland, both are equipment here was left. Yeah. Um. But you're in whatever group you're in, and uh, you want to be the best. And I always always push my guys against Tommy's guys. So if I hear they do the gearbox and thirteen or twelve, you know, we gotta beat them. We gotta beat them. But oh, we gotta do it right.
0: Okay, I, I think we're going to take five or ten minutes here just to talk through this gearbox change for, for people listening in. Because uh, anybody who, we always talk about getting your car serviced or getting it into the garage and it'll be there for a week. So we're talking about <laughs> absolute maximum 13, 14 minutes to change a gearbox. Right, so you, you know that the gearbox is going to be changed. Just talk me through, as a, as a number one mechanic, number one tech, then you will get everybody organised first off. Just talk me through it and, and as I say, in five or ten minutes.
1: As I say, we, the car comes into control, as you, as you know, at the very beginning of the service area there, and there's a bit of dead time, so I can, I can talk, can touch, can't do anything, but I can talk to the guys. So Pierre and myself will go down there, and we'll be talking to Petter, and Phil will give me a possible list of wee things he knows needs repaired or fixed or looked at.
0: In addition to the gearbox?
1: Yeah, in addition, there was other things. Yeah, you know, they really had a puncture, and they used a jack, and it's not quite in properly and it, we drop this and uh, we clip the back of it. Just check that, you know, we had a big impact on the right-hand front corner. Um, gives you much information as he can give you. And then you have a visual all around that car. So you'll check it as much as you can. I'm not touching it. and You can open the bonnet for me, one of those crew can. I can have a look in it where the impact might have been or where the radiator got slightly damaged. It not leaking, but needs replaced. And we'll suss all the jobs out. And then I'll uh, usually jump on a pushback or run back to service where the guys are waiting and um, they'll be on the when we say on the map the ground sheet and already rock and roll and we'll run around each corner and tell them right hand front left hand front etc what we're going to be doing and then if we are going to be end up doing a lot of the time Pierre will be still talking he tell me the decision over the radio in my ear and he may say to me yeah we're going to change the box as well so we may have to do one of those jobs depending on the service plus the gearbox and we'll get the transmission guy to get the gearbox out the gearbox will be on the map waiting to go in and uh, and then it's um, basically comes into service and uh up she goes they'll have it on the deck in two and a half minutes like you know it's, it's nearly on the floor
0: well the gearbox out
1: yeah i mean that's it's it's quick taking on I mean, you know, there's I don't know, one on the prop it's on the bottom the bottom of the gearbox is two doing um drive shafts and is front four-wheel drive car I remember so they've got a prop shaft going at the back and a two drive shafts going the front get yeah, the engine gabbed up in the top, taking uh, all the top bellows and bolts and starter bolts and stuff like that out. Tilt the engine back a little bit and, and wedge it, keep it there, and uh, the boys pull the box out. And right away, I'll be just watching all the time. There could be other things going on um, at the same time, you know, just everything with the gearbox. There could be other issues needing sorted, but it's a matter of just monitoring it. But I expect to see the gearbox on the floor in two and a half, three minutes. She'll be on the deck like Amazing. It is. It's pretty. It's pretty damn cool to watch, actually. We take a for together and the, and the guys just think that's what you do. And then you know, it's ninety kilos. This gearbox, like, it's not light. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: it's a bit of lift. A bit of lifting that. Um, there's one at the front and two at each side, and that you just up she goes up onto the cross crossmember. The same way as they're not just. they are looking a little. They're just checking everything's fine. You're not trapping anything. You know, engine boy is at the top looking down in. Everything looks good. He's he's looking at the spigot's ass and things like "I Just making sure it's nice the boys start to get a box in and then once you slam back into the bell house, it's just a matter of tightening and back up again but it's uh, it's pretty impressive pretty impressive to watch once we get it running we will run the car up so once everything's tight and it's ready the boys will still going to the car the wheels will still go off the car I mean we're sensible it's not, a, it's not a hero game you don't want to be getting caught up in an ab something like that we normally toot the horn once and that means we're going to start the car and I'm going to start the car up. so i have toot the horn not hear anybody shouting hit the start button and then just let it run for a little second, make sure it's happy. And then two toots of the horn means we're going to put it into gear and run bottom run up the box. And I'll probably be talking to Pierre or one of the junior engineers on the radio at the same time, but he'll be monitoring the car at the same time he's plugged into the car and be seeing how the diffs and everything are working, pressures are getting up.
0: On a laptop?
1: Yeah, on a laptop. Sorry, yeah, we have the car linked up to the car laptop. And then I uh, say two toots of the horn, put it into gear, up through the box, all the way up the box, all the way down the box. He's happy. He'll tell me if you want something else done, put it back up again or down again. We'll do that, make sure it's all right. Everything's tickety-boo. That's it. Gearbox is done, boys. <laughs> Wheels go on. She goes down the deck. We give ourselves a pat on the back, and uh, people spectate and go, wow. And we think, yeah, no big deal. <laughs> but underneath, <on the> <laughs> we go, I was pretty damn cool on it. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: And uh, I, think, yeah, I think 11 seconds is the quickest it did it in. And, 11 uh, seconds is the quick. It, yeah. Is that <laughs> yeah, exactly right? But yeah, it's it's, it's class it is the best thing in the world
0: that's your driving of the rally car that's your buzz that's your adrenaline that's why you do what you do isn't
1: it oh absolutely absolutely you know i uh, you know i probably would have done it for nothing sadly but um and i think i love of them you do you know i say i think i said that many moons ago when some in interview or something i said i'm sure 80 percent of the people who work here would do it for nothing and they wouldn't but they would it's not it's, something it's something else when it when it's to be part of a team, uh, I don't know if it's maybe like being part of a an elite or an ordinary army or whatever it will be, but I think it's that comradeship that comes through it all. And um, you know, everybody's watching everybody's back. It's maybe not just quite as dangerous as being in the army, but um, it's uh, it certainly brings up that, that, that camaraderie together. If you really want to do something, I and mean, you get to know so people so well doing gearbox changes or things like that. You just You don't have to be speaking. Sometimes, I think, as I said, you forget to breathe because it's just so quick. You're just doing it. It's probably like we mentioned, just briefly touched on those F1 guys. A lot of the guys that used to work with me or some of the younger kids are at F1 on front corners and Hamilton's and things like that. You know, two seconds to change wheels, unbelievable, really. You know, it just has to be perfect. You cannot talk. You cannot say anything. It's just pure practice and total belief that we... The nut is coming off. The wheel is coming off. The wheel is going on. The nut's going on. We're going down the ground. and that's how it's going to happen. I think they can do that, and
0: I think they can do it in
1: two or two two or something like that in the workshop. And the practice is unbelievable. Mm. It's unbelievable to watch that type of thing.
0: What's interesting for me as well just listening to you talking through that you're doing everything in the present tense as if you were doing it as if you still do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: those days are long those yeah. days are long gone so, with you. Oh well
1: God, I probably couldn't get down and back up again quicker than 11 minutes. <laughs> i probably roll down underneath it and go cheap because heavy. I couldn't lift it I that. You know it's amazing what you can do. You Maybe can't lift it three or four times in a row but you lift it once or twice up and then. Hmm. Yes indeed. I think you do you do talk but I'm sure the same blokes who do the, you know um, um we're we're doing something out there. all the same as me. You can lie in bed and talk away through it. I remember, I do with um, was it Walter Roll, Monte Carlo, one of the stages, and he can lie in his bed at night, start the stopwatch, and drive the stage, and stop the stopwatch, and he'll be on the second leg. Yeah, you know and that. That is it, and that and that's like us. I suppose doing parts in our car and working at things and doing things and practicing it, and uh, you know it, it is that. It's a passion, and you want to do it, and you want to be good at it, and I think I good in anything whatever you choose you know it's up whatever you choose and like, you, you want to be good at it you want to be quick at it. you want to be the, the best whenever that is i say quick but that maybe isn't necessary on every everything we talk about but it's um it's just you want to be good and if you really you want to be good at tennis you want to be good at whatever sport you do or, or whatever you do uh, you mentioned in business you know it's the same thing it's, it's um you just want to be good at it it's
0: yeah, it's, it's just fascinating to hear from your point of view. And of course, we're best mates. We've been talking about this for years and years. You know, and you are exceptional as well. You know, There's lots of very passionate uh, techs out there, but you take it a whole new level. For me, it's just this understanding how everybody has to pull together a common theme, common goals, and the fact that you want to win. And and everybody expects that to be a given if you're going into a rally team or a race team, whatever it may be. But you've got to be realistic and you've got to do the trench work as well.
1: It's much harder too when you're not winning. Yeah, to keep having the same focus of trying to win. And you know, we had a few times there at the end of, of World Rally Team for me and for some of the guys who who stayed on before before things folded and stuff. But where they weren't winning, you know. And they were. These are these are guys who want to win, and they weren't. And that's hard. You you're you you got to keep the same motivation, and you got to try and motivate people to want to win. When you're not winning, and it's um and that's that's when things become difficult you know that's when I to say the peaches were too round or the blue was too blue, and you know people come up with obstacles and and reasons of why things aren't aren't as good as they should be and're exactly the same it's just you know we've just got other other issues, but we've got to get around them, and we've just got to keep pushing with the same passion and, and the same determination and it's just a lot harder, but when you get to there and when you get to to win a game, it's so much sweeter. It's unreal, you know, when you've had bad, 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 and issues, and people just pushing you down, and you're still, you're still trying to. And you know, you can win, and you're still trying to win, and you want to win, and you should win. When for whatever circumstances, it's not happening, unless any comes together. I mean, that's that's like I don't know, ever done drugs, but I can imagine that must be like <laughs> <laughs> it must be just a buzz, like you know, it's awesome. It doesn't matter what level you're at; it's the same principle. If you only try to win that, but I don't know the National Scottish Championship you want to win it like
0: so uh, as as a young driver listening to this and um, maybe 16 17 year old 16 year old wanting to be a, a rally driver 17 18 up to 20 mm-hmm. or even right up to WRC 2 level or yeah. called now um, yeah. what top tips would you give that driver or co-driver
1: why a so, driver well you're obviously going to get a lot of setbacks it's not going to be as easy as it, everybody makes it sound there's a lot of things that will, will I say kick you back badly but a, a self-belief I think I, I think an absolute commitment and, and a passion to why you're doing it and why you get up in the morning to achieve it I think there's a lot of experiences about I mean I definitely learned lots of things from say, I used to joke but some of the older guys at Rally Art you know, in the short three years that I was there I definitely picked up a lot of tips from those guys great amount of respect for them
0: can you think of anything that you learned off the top of your head? Uh, silly things, Trevor. Like, honestly, it's
1: like, um, you know, we would paint mark the bell housing bolts, you know, and I can still remember it. It's red to the bottom, white to the top, and green to the middle because they're three different lengths, but you, you have to buzz them out, and it's red to the bottom because it is your bottom, yeah. <laughs> and white is the virg- virgin to the top, the white one, and the right. green one was straightforward in the middle, like, but, I mean, they I mean, get guys there. I mean, remember bestie people, I used to do, um, hand front corner of Tommy's car taking transfer box off and there's Allen key along the top of the transfer shaft and I remember when I first started looking can I can't even see it can I can't even find it and one of the older guys used to put his hand at the top and feed the socket on for me and very quickly gave me a few pointers shortened the socket the way down to just the right length Ray came over the UJ of the joint to make enough floppy just just enough flexible where I needed it um, bit of grip tape on a big long extension so it's Hot, sweaty, muddy, dirty, you got grip. And totally, the A4 Rally's in, you just putting that in with your eyes shut, straight in, bang, onto it, bang, spin it off. And uh, I genuinely don't think I did breathe until I had that off because I had first bit off my gearbox change and no way I was going to be the, the boy to hold everybody up. I remember you used to pull that off like like tomorrow, <laughs> back in again. But that would mean, yeah, I think we did gearboxes on, on Mr. Buffy's as well, in Tommy's car, but did a bit on eagle in some magazine. And we were, doing them. we were doing them pretty damn quick. But that's, it's not one person. It is a, it's a team. And it's a team working together with all the same goal. All of us wanted to, to change the gearbox as quickly and as efficiently and correctly. You know, we want to get it all together, but we all understood how it had to go in.
0: What advice would you give to a driver to get his techs on board and to get this level of passion that you clearly exhibited for Petter? What, what do you need to see in that driver? I think he has to realize
1: that Maybe not as much as it was when when we were there, but definitely when we're chase cars and all those things and more involvement. But his team are what give him the car that he can. They give him the tools for the job, and these are the guys that can make or break his event. And uh, I think by by mixing with them in a genuine way, I mean, uh, and hopefully you, you do genuinely bond all together, and you get that passion that you're all in the same. We're all on the same thing together. We're all there. We're definitely with Petter and I, we were all winning the World Championship. It wasn't just Petter or it wasn't just Petter and Phil. It was it was all of us. We were all winning the World Championship. And I think Petter was very good at making that and making being one of the not one of the guys really, but you know, go out with us, socialise with us, um, know our names. He made that effort. Effortlessly he did, he made that effort. But his passion came across and he would ask you, you know, various things and, and other guys. You know, this is what we have to do. And they all bought into it. I think it's very important that you're not just turn up, drive a car, go away. You know, you're nobody without this team. And it's very important, I think, as a, as a young driver to embrace the team. You hear of young drivers coming through the line learning French and learning the uh, the culture of what they're working with because they're working with foreign teams. It's massively important. It, you get so much more respect, I think, and, uh, and understanding. And you're giving those guys respect. They're, they're suddenly saying that, it, it works both ways I, I, I get you know you give them respect you get respect back and they know what you're where to win and why you're trying to win like Tommy you know Tommy was a, a hell of a guy like I remember saying "Well, well we're Mr. So bushy looking at the car every the first few weeks and I had a little group of for the four of us building the car for, for Tommy and uh, Delacour I think and I, and I sort of said uh, there's like oh, all these factory cars we have trick bits don't get me wrong they're not cheating we're just trick we're just pushing all the limits to the edge and I said what are the trick bits like and he goes. Uh, he sits in that seat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was about. And that was about the height of him because uh, he sits me. He I sits in that. Seat. Yeah, and true enough, you know, I don't think the Mitsubishi was the most advanced car, but they definitely had a very advanced driver. But they had a super trooper team, and I think Andrew Cowan probably and Linda would have made made that team a massive family. And maybe and that that you could have a whole conversation about that. I mean, that is uh, that is a, a very special guy. It was a hard hard bloke to tell him I'm leaving. There's another team. It wasn't very nice. But uh Andrew is definitely
0: That 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 says a lot, doesn't it?
1: uh honestly that you, and you more and the older you get the more you realise how they how good they they were able to run a team. That's the guy I need to speak to, Andrew, unfortunately. Tell you how to make a team. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's super. I mean oh, subconsciously nobody knew it, but you know, he he made it a team. Yeah. He he made it his his boys, um Linda's boys, you know, they those long-termers would do anything for those guys, you know. And Andrew, to be fair, would be the same. He's very fair, but um, a proper competitor, a proper guy, a proper farmer, you know, just and a true gentleman. And you know, he really, he really did. I don't know how he. When I was young, I didn't realize it, but he really does make a, a superb team. Yeah. Um yeah. And uh, a lot of those characters you say, but he's competitive. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's demanding he's all of it but he you you buy into it with andrew
0: i remember you telling me once about the engine shop and pro drive where you mm. used to keep a good relationship bringing in a, a box of biscuits or something <laughs> you know it's just something that sounds <laughs> yeah. really simple and trivial but yeah. it's just the recognition of what those guys did
1: yeah we build we build those next door actually we used to get all the parts from them you know and you're building cars and um, yeah you, you definitely you go chasing and you you build up relationships to make sure, and the people building the parts for you, they know they're for you and they know that you. I'm going to look at them closely and I want the best one. Sometimes I'll be in there all the time nosing about, being being awkward with them and looking and going. Let me being that. a
2: pest.
1: Yeah, being a bad, I was a bit of a pest at times. <laughs> it probably has a fair, it's a fair comment. Some of the, some of the people probably said it wasn't bloody fast, but I'd come in and be looking and which is the best one and I want that one. I want that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want that rad pack. That's that's the one I want. I'm gonna have it, I'm gonna have it, and um pester them. But as much as I pester them and as much as I, they probably love to give me their best to get rid of me. I think subconsciously you it was going to that car and they're gonna that car with that team and these boys. And I think I think they enjoyed being a part of that.
0: Your enthusiasm your passion rubs off in those people as well. Oh, yeah, probably. probably. I like to think so. they they're the forgotten heroes a lot of the time as well, aren't they?
2: oh
1: massively yeah you know there's lots of people there say, You know, I, I keep going back to rebuild but Charlie brought you know she was at rebuild and uh, I used to keep her going but you know she would do her best to give me the best bits she's got and I say all the guys in there too they're rolling in there and you can uh, you go and see them and you go to the engine shop and you, you see Jonathan Kerry now who runs uh, what was David Higgins in the American Championship for many years engine engineer a um, lot of winning cars he's done he was running our engines at the time. I used to go and see him. And then I'd find out the two engines on the dyno, which was the best, which is the most torque, which is the most horse power, which is better than two. And I'd talk to Jonathan for 10, or 15 minutes. I said, I, I want that one. I want that one. And then I'd be back on the phone to, to, uh, to Petter to tell him that we're getting that engine because it has got three, four horse bar. And it was absolutely nothing other than in Petter's head he was getting the best engine.
0: Psychologically, it's
1: huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His number one mechanic was after getting in the best engine. Yeah, yeah. Jonathan Kerry was knowing he was getting it. He was just, it just works in a multiple, and knock-on positive.
2: Yeah.
1: And, you know, we want the best engine, can, it's probably going to win it. And, um, I have to say, your engine will win this rally, or your engine will get the best result. Even the engine builders, you know, the guys who build the engines, you just know, it's good. And, ah, yes, lovely engine. I have that one. You know, and, I think they're all, but they're you know I say they're all that they've got a have passion. They have got that drive, and I think I think um, in a group like that in the big thing you want to be you want to be a, a, a good team player, and you want to be a team member, and you want to be appreciated, and uh, you put all your effort in, and uh, hopefully people appreciate what you've done.
2: Brilliant,
1: and uh, it kicks back, you know, when you're having a beer on a Sunday night, thinking great engine you built me. Yeah. God love them if something happens to it. <laughs> <laughs> well, <that'd laughs> the joys of being an engine builder, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. You know, another, another subject. Listen, but,
0: uh, I yeah. I've just been uh, I've heard plenty of these stories before, but I think it's uh-huh. it's really nice just to bring them alive, and it's great to have you as part of this journey, this experiment that I'm running, just to try and get as much knowledge out there, and you know, so people have a better understanding, but more importantly, if you are a young driver, young co-driver, understanding what it needs to have a team and the level of passion you have uh, will certainly run right the way through the team and inspire people to, you know, some of the stories we just talked about and finished off with there in particular are important. So thanks very much for your time. No problem. What are you up to now?
1: No, very little. We, we we double at Motorsport on the Edge. We're doing some stuff with them um involved with it, a little bit of a hack, ours that'll come out in the, the wash. A lot of our stuff is a little bit secretive, but um we sort of work on a lot of um iconic vehicles which we re engineer That's about the best way to put it.
0: And is this an independent
1: Uh yeah, it's it's a, it's a private company. Um they all come from the big uh Jaguar and Rovers and Aston Martins and places like that. The the sort of three or four directors we have involved with it. Um and there's a few rally men in there with me. But we're we're um putting together there's probably, I don't know, we have three or four big projects at the minute, which is a, if you follow Instagram and Facebook, you'll see, and uh, I think one of them is uh, Callum25, if you look up, that's a very special Aston Martin we're putting together at the minute. But there's other projects like that, and, and probably a side of the, uh, the world of motor industry that I maybe haven't seen before, and possibly easier than the motorsport world, you know?
0: It sounds all very secret, sirs. So I'm very nervous that we're going to disclose something we shouldn't hear.
1: Oh, well, I think that's the one you can look at, Different, very different, but don't get me wrong, I'm still a VH Dry fan on, on YouTube. <laughs> it's my normal watching. I can't, I know, I, get, I think most bunch of times I'll put something on, but a bit of 1982 Circuit of Ireland or something like that. Uh, some, something wrong with you. you, don't get a buzz out of that. <laughs>
0: 83 was a good year, that was the first year I did it. 19 years of age, and we retired on stage 52 on the last day out of five, 50 out of five you talk about grown men and women crying
1: oh man we've all experienced it I think that's, motorsport is that it is the biggest size and the biggest film
0: right we're going to have to drop the mic here because mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're close to an hour and a half believe it or not um, no way yeah there you go <laughs> that's that's what happens when, you, when you're into uh, it you're you not know, passionate about technician passionate about talking about it and, and there we go an hour and a half later
1: Trevor it's been a pleasure
0: uh, all right, mate, you take care and we'll catch up soon.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you very much indeed. Bye. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.
0: Well, there you go. I hope you find that interesting. Thanks to John for all the stories and insights from a part of rallying that we seldom hear about. It's a clear reminder that you need a very strong team to win. There was plenty of learning in there, so let me quickly recap it with some suggested actions for you. Forward planning and attention to detail are vital if you want to be a world leader at anything. You've got to do things a little bit better than your competition. Continually ask yourself, how can I do this better? Don't give up, even if all the odds are against you. Dig a bit deeper and push on. Have total self-belief. You can do it if you want to. Be committed, determined and passionate. Create a bond within your team, get everyone on the same wavelength and focus on the fact that you're doing it to win. Aim to love every minute of it. Don't react by going into the red and panicking. Instead, keep it in the green, pause, think clearly and respond calmly. Use the difficult times and experiences to make you stronger. Bond with your team in a genuine way. And remember, it's very important to embrace your team to earn respect. I'll add these actions to the show notes so you can have a text copy to work with. If you find this show helpful, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. If you could take just 60 seconds or so to write a review, that would be much appreciated. That will help me to reach out to even more people. Sharing the details on social media is also a great help. For show notes, check out my blog at stagebystage.com forward slash blog. If you'd like to get in touch, our email is info at stagebystage.com. That's all for now. Until next time, stay safe and take care.